Hope you're doing well. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the Helwani Show. I, of course, am Ariel Helwani. It is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. Love today's guest. Love today's show. Today's guest is an absolute legend, one of the greatest rock stars of all time in the 90s. This man was on top of the world. He was the frontman, the lead vocalist, the singer-songwriter for the iconic band, The Smashing Pumpkins. Everyone loves The Smashing Pumpkins, right? Especially if you grew up when I grew up back in the day, 90s. Today is the greatest day I've ever known. Billy Corgan, what a legend. This guy's an absolute megastar, and he's a massive pro wrestling fan. Yes, did you know that Billy Corgan is a huge, huge pro wrestling fan? In fact, he's in the pro wrestling business right now. He owns and promotes the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, iconic promotion that has been around for 74 years. In fact, August 26th and 27th, they have their 74th anniversary show, NWA 74 in St. Louis. And so we talked about his love of pro wrestling, how he got into pro wrestling, his early dealings with the likes of Paul Heyman back in the day in ECW, going backstage, Attitude Era, Raw, his not-so-great dealings with Impact Wrestling back in the day, and then buying NWA in 2017 and mixing the old school with the new school, his business dealings with Tony Khan and AEW, and even a little chatter about his appearances on The Howard Stern Show, SNL, Tonight Show. I mean, this guy has seen it all, he has done it all, and I very much respect what he is doing in the world of pro wrestling. I think it's a fascinating story, and uh, I'm really curious to see where he takes us. Five years running now with NWA, big anniversary show. He's doing things differently. He's open for business, wanting to work with other promoters. Really interesting stuff. Fascinating conversation with an absolute legend from the world of music, rock and roll, and becoming a legend in the world of pro wrestling. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only Billy Corgan. Enjoy. I've been doing interviews now for, I would say, about uh, 16 or so years professionally. Never before, by the way, has my wife taken interest in anyone that I have spoken to, either before or after. She has never been more excited about the fact that I'm talking to Billy Corgan today because she is a massive Smashing Pumpkins fan. In fact, Billy, uh, the song in uh, our video, our wedding video is a Smashing Pumpkins song. Like That's how big of a fan she was. So when I told her that you were going to be on my program today to talk about pro wrestling, she was a little confused at first, but supremely excited. So thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Blessings to your wife. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. It is great to have you here. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Uh, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Love covering uh, the sport the business, all that stuff and more, and love what you're doing with it as well. And so, of course, everyone knows you, you know, the the, the larger public knows you um, as, you know, the man from the Smashing Pumpkins for all these years. But us wrestling fans know you as the guy who has been fronting, owning, promoting NWA for the last five or so years. Before we get into all of that, I do want to ask you, you are a proud resident of Highland Park. You put on an amazing uh, benefit concert, you and your partner, just a few weeks ago. I believe you raised over $250,000. Just curious, by the way, congratulations on that. That's an incredible achievement. Could you just tell us after the shooting on July 4th, what is the mood like in the neighborhood? Obviously, it takes a while to get over something like this, but uh, you know, almost two months later, uh, no, not even, a month and a half later, what is it like these days? Well, take one step back. That day I was here at my home and uh, my family was on an international flighter. We would have been at the parade. So 
I texted my partner on the plane and said, is our tea house open today? Cause I'm hungry. And she said, no, we're closed today for the holiday. So I probably would have been down there too. And, uh, so suddenly, you know, the reports start to come in. There's this mass shooting. Of course, there's all this crazy news shooters on the loose. I live about a mile away from where it happened. My tea house is a block away. So that whole day I was expecting someone to come up the drive and, you know, um, uh, who knows what, you know, you're, you got a million things go through your head. So since then we've dealt with the sort of the aftermath, uh, you know, people murdered, uh, tons of people in, in hospital ailing. Some people are back at work with shrapnel still in their bodies. Wow. So the community sort of rallied around something that would be sort of a positive message coming out of so much, uh, horrible, uh, negativity. Um, and so we were able to put on a charity concert at my tea house and, the community the outpouring of from the community since we did that has just been unbelievable. So, so touched. And, you know, when the 70 year old grandmother pulls you, you know, aside on the street and says, thank you for what you did for our community. And thank you for changing the message a little bit. And thank you for showing the world that Highland park is more than just what happened here. It's pretty heavy because I've lived here for 20 years and it's a beautiful community. And of course people come out of the city, which is about 20 miles South to get away from things like that. And so when it visits your doorstep, um, it's very, very difficult to navigate. And this is a community that's very focused on those issues, a very liberal, progressive community. So it's almost like a double whammy of that something like that would visit this community when this, when this is a community that's focused on those issues for, for what's going on, particularly on the south side of Chicago. So uh, it's it's been a very, very strange and crazy thing to navigate. But at the end of the day, we're safe. And so we've tried to focus that energy on trying to help others. Well, again, uh, kudos on the concert and all the money you've raised and, and my best to the community as well. Um, switching gears, never easy to do that, but switching gears to your love of pro wrestling. Could I ask, you know, I've, I've heard interviews where you've talked about growing up a wrestling fan and whatnot. Do you remember when you first started to take an interest in this? Because as you know, there's like this, you know, it's like a niche thing. And sometimes you find out that people are longtime pro wrestling fans who you never would imagine are pro wrestling fans. You're like, wow, that's cool. Now we have some sort of connection. I think some people feel the same way with you because we maybe didn't know this. When did you first started, you know, taking interest, watching it, loving it? Sure. Four years old, I was living with my grandfather, who was about 60 years old, and a, and a Belgian immigrant great-grandmother who was in her 80s, and they liked pro wrestling. And so at four years old, I've got Dick the Bruiser and, you know, Vern Gagne and, you know, gosh, Ray Stevens and all these great legends, you know, sort of yelling down my television. <laughs> and it just was so larger than life. And that's all I really remember was like, who are these people? Um, they came across the stars to me, but they came across as stars that were different than other stars. They, they weren't polished. It was the complete opposite. It was the, it was the raw edge. It was the intensity. It was the passion. And as somebody like yourself, who's, you know, covered a UFC so much, you know, I've said for years that one of the great things that UFC did is they took that old style of intensity and heat and brought that over into MMA. But that's what I grew up on that kind of heat, that raw power heat you know, basically the old school fashion, the old fashioned version of I'm going to kick your ass. So that's what I remember. That's, that sort of seals in my mind, sort of like, that's what pro wrestling is. It's that intensity. Did you used to go to shows as a kid? No, I was from a, an essentially poor family and I never got to go to concerts and I never got to go to wrestling matches. So the things that I love, which was music and wrestling, it, it existed completely in my mind as something I saw on television. And and which promotion? Because so when you're growing up back then, it's more the territorial days. There's no like dominant WWWF uh, in the 70s and then early sure. 80s. Which, which promotion were you the biggest fan of? AWA. Well, we, 
Well, here's the thing. In Chicago, we had this odd mix of AWA out of, of, out of Minnesota. Um, we had Bob Loose Wrestling in Chicago, which was actually sort of a weird combination of uh, Bruiser's promotion, WWA, in, in, out of Indiana and, and the AWA. We got Georgia Championship Wrestling came, coming up out of Georgia. So for me, we would see these weird things where people would be a bad guy one week on somebody's ah. territory television, the next week be a good guy. And somebody, it was so strange. It was hard to follow. All I knew was it was crazy. And, um, but yeah, predominantly, I would say AWA was, was the biggest thing in Chicago at that time. And do you recall the first show you ever went to, first wrestling show you ever went to later in life? Yes, yes I actually, funny enough, I was watching um, somewhere in the late 90s, I was watching WWF's Raw. And, you know, there's Stone Cold and Mick Foley and all these guys. And I thought, oh, they're coming to Chicago. Oh, I'm a celebrity. I can go to a show. So next thing I know, I'm backstage talking to Triple H and China and The Rock. And wow. that's my first experience of actually going to a pro wrestling show. And Stone Cold pulling me aside and saying, I love Chicago. This is the best wrestling town in the world. Um, so my first experience was so um, positive and welcoming. And, wow, these people are awesome. And, and of course, through the years, I've gotten to know people like Mick Foley and it's just so cool because the brotherhood behind the scenes is so different than what is presented on, uh, of course, on television. So I had this beautiful, positive experience. So next thing you know, I'm going to ECW shows and all sorts of other things. Um, and chaos ensues from there. And uh, you made a couple of appearances on ECW, famously, you know, trying to <laughs> sing the national anthem. And there's a story that Heyman reached out to you about potentially buying it, at least a percentage of it in its dying days. Is that accurate? Yes. The, the backstory is I was uh, friendly with a lot of the wrestlers, so I knew how much money Heyman owed the wrestlers. Ah. So somebody who was my go-between between Heyman and I said he wants to have uh, dinner with you. He took me out to a deli in New York, and I got, <laughs> I got full vintage Paul Heyman cutting promos to little old Billy Corgan at the, at the deli uh, counter, um, basically saying, how would you like to be an investor in ECW? And I, you know, he, he lathered it up as only Paul Heyman can. And okay. I said, how much, you know? And he said, well, a million dollars. And I said, okay, what do I get for my million dollars? He said, 10%. And uh, I said, Paul, I can do math. And I know the ECW, I know ECW is not worth $10 million. So, um, I, of course I didn't tell him how much debt I knew he was in. Um, so the only thing that sort of, I look back on that story on, uh, funnily enough is it wasn't too long after that, that ECW went out of business and the commands took it over. So it would have been funny if I had actually bought 10% because then I would have been in a position to negotiate with the McMahons at that point. That's the only sort of other little asterisk on the story. But otherwise I love ECW. It was such a great environment and, um, I'm so glad I got to see so many shows and of course got to have relationships with so many of the talents of the years. In fact, Bully Ray, uh, is on, is on the pay-per-view uh, against another a person who was in ECW at some point, uh, Mike Knox in a tables match. You know, it's like, it's crazy to me that, you know, I went from being a fan to being in the business to now I'm putting on, uh, you know, matches myself. It's, it's been a wild ride. And just curious, did you ever consider countering him and buying the whole thing? It was never approached to me like that. Um, I think at the end of the day, it just became a foregone conclusion that the most money he was going to get was from WWF or E, whatever it was right. at that point. Um, I do look back and wish I'd, I'd gotten a little more involved in the WCW sale, because if you remember, I think the McMahons bought it for something like $4 million. Then that I think it was less, by the way. I think it was 2.5. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine, you know, I, I now I would have lost in any bidding war against the McMahons, of course, but I would have been very interested in that if it was for sale for that cheap. I just didn't realize it was that cheap for sale. Did that ever cross your, your desk? Did you even know? 
No, no, I heard about it. Uh, I had a lot of inside uh, knowledge at that point. People were telling me, but I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have known who to call. <laughs> hey, I want to buy WCW. Yeah. You know what I, mean? um, I do think it's a bit of a crime. And I say this uh, gently that, that WCW has never been revived or they've never had a sort of a revival or anything like that. It, it's obviously uh, Vince McMahon didn't want it to happen or it would have happened. But I think it's a shame for people who were WCW fans that they never got to have that sort of that other moment. Um, right. I do. I do regret that because I was a fan of that product as well. And, you know, when your life is crazy in the 90s, 2000s, Smashing Pumpkins, touring the world, uh, you guys are on fire. Are you still watching every week? Like, are you following it as much? Are you reading about it and all that stuff? Or did your interest wane a bit? Uh, no, I got to the point where I was having people send me tapes in in, <laughs> uh, in Europe and stuff like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's slightly embarrassing. But look, I, I think, uh, going back to your, your question about when I fell in love with wrestling, rekindling my love of wrestling in the late nineties and early two thousands and finding something that wasn't music, um, to enjoy, to lean into, to get into the gossip, you know, to know people, to have a sort of a youthful experience with the business that has everything to do with the fact uh, that I ended up buying the NWA. I brought that enthusiasm to say, I think I could revive this brand. So I think you have to have that. And I think if you look at it, uh, two of the biggest promoters of wrestling in the world right now, basically our fans who turned into wrestling promoters. And, you know, we know who the other person of that is. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You, you can't get a bad rap in wrestling for being too much of a fan. Right. They, they do look, they do look askance at you or as they, as we say in the business, they look at you as a money mark, which of course goes back to Heyman. You know, I was just a walking dollar sign at that point. Um, they try to translate your love of the business into some sort of economic thing. Um, I try not to do that myself in the business, but I, but I get it now that I'm on the other side of the curve. Uh, the other person, by the way, that you were referencing, in, in case people don't know, is Tony Khan of AEW. I'm curious, what similarities, if any, and, and I'm building up, by the way, to obviously NWA, NWA 74, coming up in a couple of weekends in St. Louis. We shall talk about that. Don't worry. I, I will... Uh, I will uh, I will scratch the promoter. You're, you're, you're a professional. I, I'm in your hands. No, no, all good. Uh, but I, I want to build up to how cool this is that you're now the man in NWA, which is uh, an iconic promotion and brand. But you know the the similarities in terms of fan bases. I mean, like you serve a hardcore fan base in music, and then a hardcore wrestling fan base, and then the businesses, the industries, even you know like the traveling circus, if you will. Are there a lot of similarities between the two industries? And if so, where does that similarity most lie? I would say the thing that does sort of cross over at this point is understanding that, um, and you see it very much in the WWE business model, in that your weekly fan, your fan who's very invested in what you're doing on a week-to-week basis, um, they become your driver in social media and they become part of your economic driver. Those businesses between music and wrestling have sort of merged because social media has changed the way everybody operates these days. you know, your ability to be an independent broadcaster the way that you want, be it your own brand. You know, I know who you are. I knew who you were when you were working for other people. Now I know who you are because in many ways you work for yourself. So so I'm just that's my point is I, I think the internet has shifted the focus where different people can come in the business and sort of voice their vision on the world because if they have the acumen and they have the resources, they can do it and they don't have to ask for permission. Hmm. DIY culture and music in the, in the late eighties going into the nineties was very much, you know, going, starting with Nirvana and the Pixies and things like that, the pumpkins too. Uh, We were able to build brands being totally against the systems that existed. And I think you see it now in wrestling. There are, there are companies that come along 
a game changer wrestling is one that comes to mind where they basically say, we're going to do it our way. We don't need to ask permission. We're, we're going to have our own rules and our own universe. And uh, we don't need the blessing of somebody way up there to say we can do this. And I think that's where the worlds have sort of merged. Hmm. Um, your first entry from a business standpoint into the wrestling business, correct me if I'm wrong, was with Resistance Pro Wrestling, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got in business with a, a couple guys out of Chicago. They sort of sold me on the idea that I could be involved with, with this independent promotion. Um, and uh, I had fun with it. It was interesting. It, you know, it went good and bad and all that stuff. At one point, I had a reality show that was being made for AMC. Um, and then the whole thing kind of went this way. And I thought, okay, I'm done with the business. And then wow. lo and behold, I get this call one day from Dixie Carter of TNA. Hey, I've been looking for you for months. I want you to come in and work for TNA. And start the money mark fan cycle all over again. And next thing I know, I'm in the middle of a, a very strange politic at TNA. Yeah. And uh, that's really, I remember reading about resistance pro, I believe in the wrestling observer, but then obviously on TNA and you're, you know, on camera and we start to hear about the stuff going on backstage, all of what's out there in terms of like why it fizzled out is, is the whole story out there or is there more to the story? Because to me, it seemed like a great partnership. And then all of a sudden as, almost as fast as it came together, it was starting to fizzle. So what exactly led to this horrible breakup? Um, I would say only about 20% of the stories in the public. It'd make a great book someday if you want to write it. Um, the good part Tell us some about kind of, it. Tell us some. Uh, of, sure. I've made peace with everybody involved. So okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a hurry to kind of re-dig re up the bodies. But um, it, got, it got heated because in essence, uh, I was brought in with the idea, which I found out later, I didn't realize it at the time, I was brought into the booking and the production side of things with the idea that I could help them maybe land a new TV deal or, if possible, also be an investor in the company. So that process inverted. We were, unable to, we were not able to land the TV deal we would have liked as a company. They started turning me for money to keep the company afloat. Of course, I have very good lawyers, as one would after 30 years in the entertainment business. And uh, my lawyers created a framework of a deal that basically said if if TNA as a company was insolvent, that I would basically take over the company. At some point, the company was proven to be insolvent by me and by my representatives. I moved to take over the company and sort of a leveraged buyout type of thing. I don't know what you call it. Uh, and then that's when the, the legal fur started to fly. Other people came in and it got real crazy there. Um, but like I said, everything's sort of peaceful now. We're back working with Impact Wrestling. The NWA is. I'm very happy to. Um, but yeah, it would make a make a killer book someday. The, the the rise and fall of TNA is is sort of an interesting story, wholly on to wrestling. Oh my God! It's. I mean, I, I I too. I've heard you say this. I too used to order those Wednesday pay per views when they first launched back in the day in the in the early 2000s, and I thought it was a really interesting thing when you came on board. And I'm wondering, considering what happened with your first entry with Resistance Pro and then the AMC deal and then this, at that point, like that's almost like three strikes. I'm out. How did, yeah. Why did you stick around? Like, if, if, especially if the impact deal was so sour by the end, what possibly led you to stick around? Well, the one little breadcrumb that led out of TNA was I did at one point, very briefly, sort of have control of the product and, um, and or have a lot of leverage on the control of the product and i started to see where the audience was responding to my particular vision i kept being told internally your vision's too weird your vision's too bad i heard it in music too so you can imagine if i heard it in music and i made it work at some point if i've heard it enough in wrestling i started thinking no i actually see evidence for example just to give um some of your audience a little bit of illustration uh there was a tag team faction that i had a lot to do with which was decay 
you know, I got them a, a song from a, from a artist, you know, uh, and took something that's very alternative and brought it into wrestling. And it was super over right away. Um, I was involved in the Hardy deletion stuff where it was my idea to actually start filming stuff off grid out of universal studios, which led to shooting stuff at the Hardy's farm. Uh, and I was involved in the booking of all that. And that thing just blew up and took off uh, like a rocket. And it was probably the most exciting thing that TNA had done in years, massive ratings. And you know, the next day Dixie Carter tried to kill it. So I'd had experiences of, uh, seeing my ideas actually go into the mainstream culture and actually work. So that was sort of the breadcrumb like, well, hey, by the way, the NWA is for sale. Hmm, what if I took over this historic brand, spent the money I was just about to spend on TNA and see if I could rebuild the NWA in my vision? And then I started thinking about the, the formative years of AWA and growing up with that, that style and thinking maybe I can put these two pieces together. So th- here we are. <laughs> and, and one last thing on, on TNA um, and this is to give you props. I read, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were not a fan of the TNA name. Neither was I. I always thought it was cheap. And that you had an idea of Matt Hardy being on a boat and throwing the belt into the river. And then that would kind of lead to the end of that brand. And then a new belt would be introduced. Is that true? Because if so, I love that idea. That was great. Yeah. The angle is booked. It actually never ended. Sorry. The angle is booked and it never ended up happening because I left the company before it was to be done mm. was there was going to be a seat. They were going to do something wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And then the, you know, the, everything would go black and then it would be the next morning. It would be Matt just rowing in, in the lake, uh, by himself. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the you know, sun would be coming up and then he would, you know, he'd look down and look up and I'm getting chills because this would have been such a great angle. It's great. Uh, it it would have been the TNA belt. And he would have looked at it and kind of looked at the sun and whatever, and just thrown the belt in the water. And that would have been the end of TNA. And then we would come back in the new year. Cause I think it was right at the end of the year. We would come back in the new year as impact or, right. you know, I mean, I was in these meetings and I begged, you know, whoever was in charge there, depending on the day, I'd say, look, this name's killing us. You can't get cor- you know, you can't get any corporate sponsors. You can't get, you know what I mean? We need ad money. You guys are coming to me for cash just change the name. You know, it's like, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't impact TNA impact. I was like, Oh my God. So I actually finally convinced everybody, okay, we're going to do it. It's going to be this angle. It's going to be a deletion thing. And Matt will be the person who actually kills TNA and, and rechristens it starting in the new year when he walks through the curtain with whatever the new belt is. And it just didn't happen. Would have been great. <laughs> um, we mentioned earlier, McMahon's bought WCW for 2.5 million. The Fertitta brothers bought the UFC back in 2000 for about 2 million. And, you know, the story is that people laughed at them. They said, you're just buying three letters. What the hell are you buying? And I think the same was said to you when you bought NWA. However, you didn't even get, correct me if I'm wrong, any library or anything. At least they did. How much did you buy NWA for? I uh, can't tell you that. Okay. Uh, why not? Why, why is everyone else allowed to say and, and you can't? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a promise. When this company is as successful as I want it to be, I will tell you. You'll be Fair. the first person to find out what I bought this company Less for. or more than what Fertitta's bought UFC for? Oh, oh, definitely less. Okay. Definitely. Um, uh, I did, though, it is important to say that part of the deal is in order to get the NWA from what was the sole owner at the time, uh, I had to purchase the um the exploitation rights of what is called the nwa houston library so i actually control that library i have not yet exploited it beyond leasing out clips to tv shows um there was the hbo show on i think on uh uh, andre the giant or hulk hogan or something it's like stuff like that 
and you know, a dark side of the ring occasionally, stuff like that. But no, we have not exploited that library. But I'm I'm sitting on hundreds of hours of classic NWA matches, but I don't own the own the things. It's very complicated, but that was part of the deal. Why ultimately did you decide in 2017 that this was worth it for whatever the price tag was, as opposed to just starting your own thing, Smashing Pumpkins Wrestling, Billy Corgan's Wrestling, whatever the name is? Um, why did you feel like it was important to buy this and it was a good deal for you? Yeah. To me, that's the perfect question because when I when I when I reached that sort of moment where I was dealing with somebody trying to get this historic brand and legal complications and everything, um, even at one point he put out a warrant for my arrest, which is a whole other story. What? Who did? <laughs> the former owner of the NWA, the Houston attorney guy. Uh, I don't want to say his name, but he did put a warrant out for my arrest. But why? <laughs> legit that's part, work that's or shoot that, that's all that's a that's a, that's a shoot that, that's oh all part God. of the deal oh golly all put, right put, put an active warrant out for my arrest in, in the state of texas oh, um, <laughs> so my point is is in dealing with this junk to try to get the nwa you know you sit there and think hey i could just start billy corgan wrestling or smashing pumpkins wrestling or you know aerial wrestling or whatever you know at the end of the day the key thing for me was i didn't want this company to be about me <laughs> And to add a little color to that is I've had a whole musical life where it's been about me. Even when I don't want it to be about me, it's about me. Mm. I love being in wrestling when it's not about me. Mm. I love when it's about Trevor Murdoch and Tyrus and Nick Aldis and Camille and Ty Valkyrie. I love it because I get to have all that same enjoyment without sort of always taking the heat. You know, when you've been memed like I have and publicly humiliated like I have, you know what I mean, on the musical side. To be in wrestling, to be respected for bringing back something that's very important in the business, to put people to work, to put on your own vision of wrestling, it's very satisfying. And I would point to somebody like Tony Khan. Tony Khan comes from a very wealthy family. They, they own a national uh, football league team. They own an EPL team. Why does Tony want to be in wrestling? Because he loves it. Mm. And so that's what I said. I didn't want it to be about me. Okay, so once it starts to get rolling, like your ult- like your vision, how close to it Obviously, the pandemic changed everything, right? But what you're doing now with Power and what you did last year with, you know, Empower, and and I want to ask you about that in a moment, but you've got this anniversary show, 74, coming up 26th and 27th in uh, St. Louis, two-day event, the deal that you have with Fight. Like, what you are doing right now, how close are you to the vision that you had when you bought it in 2017? 25%. Oh, wow. Okay. What was your vision when you bought it? What was your ultimate goal for this? I, I want to bring back the NWA to international prominence and have it be a competitor of the top wrestling promotions in the world. Cause there's no, there's no, I don't, I don't want to be the little guy or the, the niche thing or the thing on the side. You can, you can in wrestling, if you want to blow money, you can kind of buy your way in, but you will never compete at the highest levels if you're not willing to do the work that we're doing. Um, and uh, UFC is a very, you know, because I was a UFC fan when they were doing those crazy matches with like the boxer against the karate guy. We mm-hmm. used to watch those on the bus with the pumpkins back in the nineties. Believe it or not, we had wow. the video. Um, so we were fans of the product back then. So I, I paid attention to that transition in the, into the Fertitta era and watched it grow. And you know, uh, Iceman and all that stuff—that sort of vector straight up. So I paid close attention as a fan, watching how they were able to take something which everybody thought was completely worthless and rebuild it into this powerhouse Mm. uh, $4 billion later and counting. Uh, God knows what it's worth now. So I I know it can be done. I know, I know it's there to be had. And, and what I like to say to people, and I'll I'll be quick about it is I think the WWE is an institutional brand now. 
You know, they have every reason to sort of be, they can be edgy again, but they have to be conservative to a certain degree because they have so much corporate tie up and so many sponsors. And I get it. WrestleMania is this massive event. It's, it's, it's the circus. It is what it is. Tony Khan is coming to the market and sort of been a disruptor in a good way, but his product is very specific to a very specific audience. And for two plus years now, he hasn't shown much derivation on that. It's his vision. He gets criticized or applauded for it, but it's his vision. He's going to stick to it. To me, the middle of professional wrestling is wide open. Hmm. I grew up on wrestling where grandma watched it and a little kid like me watched it. I started this, this, this interview with you talking about being four years old, sitting with an 80 year old woman watching wrestling. So to me, if you're not appealing to the four year old and the 80 year old, you're kind of missing the core arc of America. And the numbers do indicate that wrestling over the last 10 years to 20 has become more and more niche. They've asked more, uh, less people for more money. Mm. So to me, the general audience, the, the heart of America, somebody, for example, like your wife, right? Not a wrestling fan per se. Would she give it a chance if she watches one show and goes, ah, oh, it's just kind of cool. I enjoy it. That's the kind of fan that I'm after. It, it, I don't. And by the way, let me say one thing. All the people who are very niche in wrestling. They all watch Raw. Right. They complain and they talk and they this and this dream match between this guy from Japan and this guy from, you know, the, you know, Mar Jews, uh, uh, not Jews, uh, Mar Mars. I was gonna say <laughs> Jupiter and Mars. Uh, dream matchups, all this stuff. At the end of the day, they still want to see what the mainstream product is. And I believe that there's a mainstream product there to be had um, by the NWA and I will get there. If it wasn't for the pandemic, how much further along do you think you would be? Actually, I think the pandemic in a weird way turned out to be a good thing because I had to stop the company down for a while and I had to really decide, okay, am I really committed to this thing? And my partner, who's the mother of my two children, would ask me every other day, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to deal with the headache? You have a great life. You got kids. You got a successful career. Do you really, really want it? And after nine months, I, I woke up one day and I was like, not only do I want to do this, I'm going to go at it. I'm going to double down and go even harder. Wow. So something about that time off made me kind of grow up a little bit and say, okay, you got to be really serious about this. This cannot be sort of a hobby or this other thing that you do. You have to be all in on it. So I'm, you know, I'm easily 60 hours a week on the NWA and music's anywhere to 80 to hundred, depending on, on the week. So I'm all in. So I was actually going to ask you, like, if this was uh, one of those, uh, you know, pie charts, how would you break <laughs> up your, your work right now? I, it sounds like music is still what is taking up most of your time, but well, it's music getting is close. What pay, music is what pays for the end of the Right, day. right. Let's not forget that. So we're about 60, 40. Okay. Well, wow. That's pretty damn close, though. I, I noticed, though, like I see on your social media, I almost feel like, do you, okay, now let's talk about another thing, a Venn diagram, right? How big is that part in the middle between the Smashing Pumpkins fans, your fans, Billy Corgan fans, and the wrestling fans? Because I, you, it couldn't well, be, yeah. Does, is I, that frustrating? I no, I, I, I think in the beginning I was a bit naive thinking more fans would come along for the ride because it was another sort of uh, act of my creativity. It just hasn't translated like that. And over time, I think the nice part about it is the average Smashing Pumpkins fans that knows about my life in wrestling is very respectful now of it because they, th they see that I've taken seriously and they see that I brought something back that they actually think is kind of cool. So even if they're not fans and not watching, they're sort of positive about it and they no longer kind of get these things like, why don't you just stick to music and da, 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 da. They, they're like, Hey, I get it. You have multiple dreams and you're living your dream and you should, you've been successful. So that has definitely turned and that feels nice. And 
what's cool is I think like something like NWA 74 becomes the perfect vehicle where you can say to somebody, Hey, if you're going to give me one chance a year, this is the perfect time to do it. You're going to see the product presented in its best possible light. I'm happy to hear that because I have to say, anytime I post about pro wrestling, I get a ton of hate. Get this off can you, my Can you feet. explain that to me real quick? Because I'm just curious because yeah. you, you're, you're in a unique position. MMA fans, which is crazy, right? Because I believe strongly, the reason I like MMA, love MMA, is because I grew up a pro wrestling fan, right? MMA was born out of pro wrestling. The roots of MMA are in pro wrestling. Everything that is great about MMA comes from pro wrestling. The only difference is the fights aren't scripted. But every, every great MMA star, right, has elements of pro, Conor McGregor, Iceman. They're all pro wrestlers in a, in a sense. So I feel like there's a great connection. However, MMA fans are very insecure and they get a little uncomfortable, hot under the collar when you start to make that connection and present it to them. So even though someone who's able to take a step back and understand the history and the lineage can say like, look, this is all born out of this. They get very upset. No, no, no. Don't talk to me about the fake stuff. Why would you talk about, you know, scripted stuff? They're they're not athletes. Do you talk the same way about, you know, Harry Potter and this and that. And it's it's all nonsensical if you ask me, but they get really mad. They don't want the real journalist guy to be talking about the fake stuff, even though I don't consider it fake. It's incredibly athletic and tough on the body. We know everything. I don't need to tell you. They get very uncomfortable. That's the word that comes to mind, uncomfortable, when the guy who covers the real stuff starts giving that same type of respect to the quote unquote fake stuff. It drives me nuts, but I've just learned to ignore it. I find that funny because um, I know from my years in professional wrestling that there's a mad amount of respect in the professional wrestling community for MMA fighters. It goes, yes, it's crazy. So, it By the way, see- the fighters respect the wrestlers. They all grew up wrestling fans. It's the fans oh, okay. who are so protective. And I think you can understand this a little bit. It's almost like to a degree when the band becomes big time, like they don't want anyone else. So it's like, no, this is our little thing. We don't want anything else. We don't want any type of connection to anything, especially not the fake stuff. Like we can live with boxing and they're weird towards boxing too. But the fake quote unquote stuff, they get super defensive about uh-huh. That's strange because I know there's nothing but love in the professional wrestling community for the MMA fans and the MMA fighters. Um, I, I literally never hear a cross word. It's crazy. Um, and, and you know, as we say in wrestling, the boys, which is all yeah. the talent of male and female, the boys love to watch UFC events because, because it is the spectacle. It is that larger-than-life moment. And, of course, it's the McGregors and people like that who draw the biggest flies, as we would say, because, you know, they have that ability to walk and talk. Of course. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've grown up loving pro wrestling. I still watch it and enjoy it. I don't have as much time, three kids, the dub, everything like that. But the first time that I saw your product power and, and the way it looked, and I didn't grow, you know, I grew up, I was born in 82, so I'm a little bit past studio wrestling days, but of course, I've seen every documentary and watched every clip and all that stuff. I thought it was so brilliant that you were bringing that back with the flags, with even the graphics, with the interview off to the side. I think it's brilliant because what's there's so much wrestling on TV now. There's so much WWE, stop right there, but now there's AEW and Impact and New Japan. How do you differentiate yourself? And you have like scratched this nostalgic itch, but you've given it like this 2022, you know, kind of coat of paint on it. Brilliant. Where did that idea come from? Like to go back and shoot it exactly like it was shot back in Portland or Memphis back in the day? Well, I actually pitched it to Dixie Carter at TNA. Um, We had an extra content show. I think it was called Explosion or something. And I said, and nobody would watch it. It was just a bunch of extra matches. 
And I said, let me let me make this show fun so people will actually watch it. And it won't cost any more money. And well, how will you do it? I want to do a studio format show. Because the economics to a studio show are very uh, favorable to putting on a lot of content for, for not a lot of money. So uh, that was obviously rejected. <laughs> so, of course, when I bought the NWA, I thought, okay, where am I going to start? I'm going to start from this very simple thing. Um, the positive side is people really enjoy power and it's become kind of our flagship show. I think the downside is that it's branded us as sort of a throwback thing. Um, and people do not understand. And then I'm certainly putting this message out now. If you think that's the NWA that you don't, you don't know me, you know what I mean? Um, when I was playing clubs in 1988 or 89, I mean, we had no production, we had no pyro, nothing, you know what I mean? So what was it that got a band over at that level well it was moxie and and power just raw power and so nwa power is sort of our moxie and our power you get to see the brightest stars in a very intimate setting and you kind of can't turn your head away because there's something sort of strange about it and in that way it's very 21st century but i've always wondered why the multiple r's i think there's three or four r's power. power okay it's it's a lot of power <laughs> it's a lot of force. it's not just power okay it's power. All right, all right, but you pronounce it the same, or you just have to of like. Of course, yeah. It's okay, just, it's, a, it's a gag like everything else in my world. You know, what I mean, uh, I'm glad you noticed. You know, because I, I, of course, when I'm typing people in the company, I just write power. P O W E R. I don't, I don't have the extra hours. But when we named it, I debated power or power, and uh, I eventually came to the conclusion there was something sort of fun about power. So, by the way, if you're looking for like, um, like a slick sort of obnoxious smarmy jewish heel manager i know this guy heel wani that's my alter ego <laughs> i i feel like you're i could welcome, cut a promo you're welcome to come on nwa power anytime you want i could cut a mean promo on the business i want to cut a promo on everyone in the as, business. You, as you might know uh we do not script our promos so you can literally no writers nope. you don't believe in it no so you just you, you but you're not live though right well we are i mean live to tape yeah, but we, I mean, when we cut promos live on a pay-per-view, it's live. Got it. So, you, and, and you trust the guys implicitly, like you say, hey, you got three minutes, go ahead. I still cross my fingers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I, li listen, uh, a quick story. Uh, Ric Flair appeared last year on NWA 73, and I was talking to Rick before the thing. We were talking about all these incredible matches that he had had in the Chase uh, Hotel back in the day. Harley Race, you know, uh, Bruiser Brody, all this crazy, right? And he says, uh, so uh, what, do you, what do you want me to say? And I go, whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> you <laughs> you're know? Yeah. You're gonna, I go, you're Ric Flair. He goes, he goes, really? And I go, you can say whatever you want. Just here's the microphone. And I gave him a live mic, and he said whatever the hell he wanted. Wow. Was there because, any? Because, again, see, real quick, that's what I like about UFC, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like if you see a guy cutting a promo, even if he's working, and some, of course some guys and girls are working sometimes, but it's still got some heat, okay? That's what I want to see. That's the part that I love. That's the thing that I grew up on. So I don't, want, I don't want a wrestler to stand there and say a bunch of stuff that's coming out of my mouth. I want them to say what their character would say in their own way. Um, was there any sort of talk of, okay, like when Ric Flair had his last match stuff, it would have been a great story to have him have his last match on NWA, NWA 74 coming up in uh, just, you know, 10 days from when we're shooting this. Any yeah. talk of it happening there? It didn't happen there, but was there any talk of that? We were, we were asked to be involved. We ended up not being involved. Um, there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen, mm. um, which is fine. Look, uh, it was a big deal. You know, when you got ESPN covering something like Ric Flair's last match, everybody puts in quotations because no one's quite sure yet. 
Uh, it seems like it's his last match. Uh, there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen. And, 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 and there's some backstory stuff that I don't totally understand, but a lot of things were happening with WWE's blessing, including his daughter being at ringside and stuff like that. So there were WWE cooks in the kitchen, however far away they were, and there were other people involved. And so I just didn't want to get in the middle of all that. So at the end of the day, we, we chose not to be a part of it, but, uh, we certainly uh, appreciate everybody involved. Conrad Thompson, who's the son-in-law of Ric Flair and sort of runs that side of things and is a very successful podcaster in wrestling, probably the most successful podcaster in wrestling. That was sort of his deal. And so we look forward to working with Conrad in the future. It's, it's, it's all good. It's just, I'm used to kind of my own world running its own way. And, and, and as I said recently in an interview, and it got a little bit of traction is like, I'm not, in the, I'm not in the position in my mind to go beg anybody for anything. I think what I built or rebuilt with the NWA stands for itself. If you want to be in business with me, great. If you don't want to be in business with me, that's fine. I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. How would you describe your business relationship with WWE right now? You know, it was very good. Um, uh, when Triple H was in power before he lost power and came back now, um, he and I had a lot of discussions about the Houston Library. He's a particular fan of that promotion, uh, which was the Paul Bosch promotion. Um, and, uh, and we just never were able to put together the deal for me to, to, to transfer that library uh, over to him. Uh, and then for a while we had discussions about being on the network, uh, when they, when they had the network on their own, not on Peacock. Um, and we talked extensively and I talked to, you know, I don't want, I guess, mid-level manager, but very smart, very bright people about, you know, being part of the WWE starship. Um, that also just didn't happen, but they were very respectful. I've, I've, I've never had anything but less than a positive uh, interaction with WWE on every level as a fan, as a celebrity, as a pro professional person, always total class with me. Nothing, nothing to say, but good things. Just curious. Do you see a difference in the product now that Vince is gone and triple H is head of creative and all that? Sure. Um, you know, I think, I think you had a good sense of what triple H's vision was for wrestling, not only through his in-ring career, but, but, um, the way he was running X NXT for a while. And now Shawn Michaels is running it. Who's also brilliant and one of the great superstars of all time. Um, the thing I would say, and I think I, I get why everybody want to run, wants to run to the exit towards like, what's it going to be like? Um, and I'll use my own example real quick. Um, the pumpkins is an institutional thing, even though I wrote the songs and it's my idea and I named the band, it's an institutional thing. And when you grapple with an institutional thing, it's a little hard to uh, pivot a battleship. It doesn't just happen quickly. So I think we won't really know Triple H's vision with the WWE for a couple years. Because mm. you just can't go in and just start pressing a bunch of buttons. you got to kind of press a few buttons, see what happens. You have to see who's loyal to you. You have to see who's really going to who's really on your side of the street or who's pretending they're on your side of the street. So I don't, I don't see changes happening relatively quickly, but I think you can already get a sense, particularly of who's come back. A lot of talented people have come back. Somebody was just working with us in Sam Shaw, Dexter Loomis in the WWE world. He's gone back. Killer Cross has gone back. Uh, Top Dollar has gone back. I think you see that some of the people that maybe uh, Vince wasn't focused on have come back. So I think that's a very early indication of where he's going. How would you describe your relationship with Tony Khan? Because uh, one thing that I like to say sometimes when I'm giving, like this is part of, you know, the character that I play, giving myself the old uh, Barry Horowitz, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, Barry Horowitz, right? Pat yourself on the back when you're trying to be like, oh yeah, I did this, but you're really trying to pat. I thought he was giving himself the old Barry Horowitz when he was uh, tweeting about the all-female show that you had last year, where I guess that, you know, they, they, they let some AEW uh, talent appear on your 
uh, pay-per-view, and I saw or I heard an interview that you did with Sean Ross Sapp recently where you said there's a little bit more to that story. He put it out there and you kind of wish that he didn't put it out there, or at least the way in which he put it out there and you chose to take the high road. Felt to me like you were kind of biting your tongue a little bit, if I may, in that moment. How would you uh, describe your relationship with Tony after you know he put that tweet out? I think it's one of those things where um, he has his version, I have my version, but everything's kind of cool. Um, I don't think we need to legislate it in public. Um, there's no real heat. Um, I think Tony is in a very unique position and there's things I've told Tony in private that are now starting to come true. And I would hope that he would remember some of those things that I told him because I'm sort of a transparent and honest broker in the wrestling business. I want Tony Khan to succeed. Tony Khan's actually good for a, uh, sorry, Tony Khan's actually good for NWA business. He's charting paths and opening up doors that I can't open. He's proving that WWE doesn't run the entire wrestling business when you're dealing with, and you, you know, you know, these people behind the scenes from all your MMA world, when you're the UFC, yeah, there's a lot of other things, but the corporations and they tend to focus on, it all kind of starts there. Mm. So for 20 years, all that corporate money and all that television money has been very focused on one company alone in a very diverse world of professional wrestling. So Tony Khan has sort of wedged those doors back open and he's making a case that the, the world is ready for more and alternate forms of professional wrestling again, which is fantastic. So I have no bone to pick with Tony. Uh, and like I said, in the, in the interview, uh, there's just stuff there that I sort of had to kind of like react to, but it started with somebody cutting a promo on me that they should have never cut. So I cut enough of a promo back to say, Hey, look, you know, let's just kind of leave this be. It's kind of kicked back up again a little bit because of the interview that I did with Sean, uh, because of some of the stuff that he approached. I just don't think that stuff is really for the public consumption. I get that there's a wrestling ecosystem now that thrives just as much on gossip and sort of chatter. If me and Tony were in a room right now, we wouldn't talk about the issue. If we text each other right now, we wouldn't even talk about the issue. It's not an issue. It's really only an issue because I, I sort of talked about it a bit. Uh, there's always a uh, great excitement when promotions come together. We saw that with AW and, and new Japan recently, even in the MMA world, we talk about, Oh, this guy going here. Will we see more of that? And I feel like you're the kind of guy who is open to that. Um, and I think it would certainly behoove NWA. And I know that some guys, you know, pop in and out and that's kind of the old model, but like an NWA AEW pay-per-view or an NWA versus impact pay-per-view, is that something that you want to explore? Absolutely. I'm, I'm open for business. The only thing I'll say, and this is maybe part of the thing that came out of the interview that we were talking about in regards to Tony is, um, and this is for everybody, this isn't sort of pointed at Tony. Um, I have a unique position in professional wrestling in that I'm a bona fide celebrity outside of professional wrestling. I can get a meeting with anybody at any company at any time, <laughs> right? So my ability to operate in wrestling is very different than just about anybody else's ability. So when we're doing these kind of internal negotiations about working with other promotions, my position isn't like, hey, I'm a big celebrity. You should sort of do what I want to do. My position is I know exactly where the NWA is and I want to work with you and I want to make sure that you feel good about it. When I feel that people are leaning on me a bit too hard, you know what I mean? And, and it does go back to that sort of what Tony talked about. And when I feel like people are leaning me, on me a bit hard, that's where I sort of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Hmm. Because that's where that puts me in a weird position where now I have to make a choice between Billy Corgan, the wrestling promoter, or Billy Corgan, the celebrity. Mm, okay. Right. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Like yeah, now, yeah. now we're outside the bounds of just like, 
uh, wrestling world gossip. Now we're talking about like, am I going to get a call from Rolling Stone about something silly? Right. So, so that's the sort of my point. And that's why I didn't like what Tony had done at that time, because those are things that should be kept off grid because Tony's part of an NFL franchise. I'm a, you know, quote unquote, legendary rock star. You put those two names together, they transcend the normal boundaries of wrestling gossip. So now we're taking a wrestling gossip thing and we're spilling it across and other things. I just, I don't play those games and I don't want to play those games. I really do want to be in business with Tony Khan, Scott Demore. I would love to talk to Triple H about business again, now that he's fully in charge of the WWE universe. I think the NWA is open for business. And I think that I'm hopeful that the day will come where Tony Khan particularly will wake up and realize that if he can put together a super show of every non-WWE promotion, it will rival WrestleMania in draw and focus. Mm. That opportunity is sitting there today. You don't have to wait for it. It exists. And the NWA has proven that we can be a, a vital part of something like that in terms of the promotional level, including my ability to go out and talk to mainstream media. So, so yeah, that's just part of the game we're all in. So I hope it comes across. There's no heat. It's sort of like, I know who I am. I know what the NWA is. I know where we're going. And I'm not getting going to get on my knees and beg to anybody in the business, anybody. That includes anybody from the WWE on down. I'm not begging. I'm on a trajectory. You want to work with me, work together. And that was part of what went on with the WWE is they kept saying, you're a really unique case because the things you're asking for, we can't say no because normally we would say no. But because you're you, we understand mm -hmm. you have different leverage and power in this world. And that's sort of my, been my position is I'm sort of transparent about it. So don't try to knuckle me down and I won't try to knuckle you back and we'll kind of try to find that balance. I know you've appeared on, on camera before, but do you have aspirations? And I also know that you just said like you wanted to be about the other guys and not yourself, but you as a character obviously feels like it could uh, draw some money. <laughs> do you, do you want to be a character? Is that, is that part of the plan? I'll tell you what, let's start here. Okay. The all time angle that's right in our hands right now, or one of the all-time angles would be me, me and Dixie Carter, oh, either gosh. on the same side of the street or on opposing sides. I'm not sure Dixie wants to get back to the professional wrestling business, but that would be quite interesting. Have you pitched um, it to her? I haven't pitched it to her. Uh, look, we just mended fences about a couple months ago, so we'll, we'll leave it there, but I, I'll throw it out there. That would be some red meat for, for people to chew on. That would be a lot of fun. Because as you know, when you kind of got that sort of natural thing where it goes organic to to you know, work shoot, there can be a lot of fun stuff that you can do there. Um, yeah, I, I'm okay with being a wrestling character under the right uh, things. I did insert myself recently into the world title picture where I took a, a number one contendership away from Nick Aldis and, uh, and, and said some heated things on Busted Open. And, and he said some heated things. And, and both of our phones start blowing up. People are like, are you guys working or shooting? Uh, and that's the beauty of it, right? What are right. we doing? I love that. Um, for someone that may not be familiar with the product right now, in, in a nutshell, could you describe what is the difference between your show, your product, your promotion, and the main ones, right? Namely, WWE and AEW. If I'm giving you an hour a week, two hours a week to watch your product, what is the difference? What am I getting that I'm not getting there? Sure. Uh, more raw, more rough and tumble, bigger, stronger, meaner. We're just, we're, we're just the toughest promotion right now. I think we, I think we easily have eight to 10 people who are over six, six and three twenty. Wow. We've gone, we've, we've, we've invested in size, power, and just raw meanness. And it goes, that goes back a little bit to the, to the MMA world, right? It's like, when I look at what attracts me as an MMA, MMA fan, it's like, I want to see the toughest people, whether they're featherweights or, you know, Ronda Rousey changed the world by proving that women could be 
respected as main event draws because of the toughness. So if I would define the NWA in one word that separates us from anybody else, it's just, we're just tougher. What is NWA 74? Because when I see the number, I, I think of UFC, right? They number their events. So ultimately I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. They're numbering events. Come to find out 74th anniversary of the of the promotion. This is a big deal. Two night event. So it's a la WrestleMania. This kind of feels like your WrestleMania, if you will. You're going back to it is, yeah. our, yep, a historic you know, market, St. Louis. Um, what, why is it so special? Why should people order it? And if you can, like go old school promoter on us and tell us what is on the card or cards, I should say. Sure, yeah. Well, let me start here. 74 years of continuous operation. I mean, that's just crazy. It is the it is the longest and oldest thriving, you know, literal fight promotion in the world. So um, that says a lot. Um, the Chase Ballroom, they didn't allow wrestling back in there for 37 years. They allowed us to come back in. So you have the history, not only where history was made, we're making new history. Tyrus, 6'7", 375 pounds, challenges the champion. Trevor Murdoch is probably 6'7", 330. That's your main event on night two. Your main event on night one is Camille who's a freak phenom, former Division I athlete against Ty Balkri, who's a de- decorated champion, just as big, just as powerful, might even be a little bit bigger. So it's, it, they're right there, right? Just raw power. That's what that's the NWA. Uh, Nick Aldis will face uh, Flip Gordon. Um, gosh, La Rebellion versus Continental Connection. Harry Smith, you know, f- a famous father in, in, in uh, Davy Boy. Uh, you know, it's just so much. It's hard to quantify all these matches. Sion versus Jack Stane for the national championship. Uh, we have a 10 uh, women gauntlet match to determine another number one contender and the winner of Ty and Camille face that winner on night two. Uh, we have a 10 team battle tag battle Royale. <laughs> Damn. Try that one on for size. So you have 20 men in the ring in a, in a tag match over the top battle Royale, old school style to determine it. Uh, we're bringing back the U S championship, the tag cha- championship belts. And are you head booker for all of this? Oh yeah, I book everything, write everything. Golly, that is. A, and and how many people do you expect for you know both nights combined? In terms of wrestling talent, or no, no fans. Uh, I don't know. You know, St. Louis has been hit pretty hard, so we've been navigating that economy. You know, it had massive floods, and that seemed to really kind of put a crinkle in the promotional side. So we're still working on that. I mean, hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll do over 1,000, 1,200 people over the two nights. But, okay. you know, in terms of wrestling talent, you're looking at 80 people in the building easily. Wow. When the NWA Not- goes somewhere, we're probably up to about 120 people coming in the building. And how often are you shooting? Uh, we shoot, uh, we do four pay-per-views annually at the moment. Two pay-per-views are double Crockett cup and and the anniversary pay-per-view. We're moving to five pay-per-view cycles next year. So currently we shoot about every 11 to 12 weeks and next year we'll move to about every 10 and we're going to add more live events as well. So we're expanding for next year already. Are you profitable? And if not, how long? (laughs) Oh, don't make me laugh today. Uh, No, listen, I compare what I've done to like a, like a tech startup. You take something and you, you try to convince people of a dream. And as you're convincing them of the dream, you're trying to decide whether you want to bring equity partners, whether you who you want to partner with and what, what you're going to give up. I am 100% owner of the NWA. So rather than take a bunch of money from the outside, which I could have done or taken a big loan against my, you know, my song royalties or something, I decided to build this thing back up culturally first using kind of the UFC model. Like, what are you actually trying to sell to people? Professional wrestling oftentimes makes the mistake of like, hey, throw a bunch of money. Hey, check it out. Here's, here's what we have. 
I'm actually trying to build something or rebuild something that when you look at the wrestling ecosystem, you will say, there's this, there's this, and there's the NWA. We will have clean air around us. Mm. There will be nobody like us in the business. We'll be more creative. We will be tougher. We will be stronger and hopefully faster. And I think I'll prove that out over time. I think I've done that as an artist and I'll do that in the wrestling business. It just requires a certain level of patience, including for me. Um, there are times I wish I could just, you know, drop, you know, half a mil on the, on the fire of the NWA and I would get, I would get a return back in terms of intensity and heat. It just doesn't work like that as a business. And I know uh, you have a deal with Fight TV, but do you feel like you need a TV deal or anything, you know, like, are, are you happy with that? Obviously, you don't want to crap on your partner. I get that. And they have a great product. I'm a fan. But do you feel like you need a weekly TV show on linear or on some kind of platform on some sort of streaming yeah. platform? That's a great question. Currently, we're on twice a week on on YouTube for free. Fridays on uh, with Power and Saturdays for USA. So the audience has reach. Uh, I think it gets down to the economics of how you want to run it. Uh, I definitely want a partner uh, in the marketplace who's willing to put up real marketing and real money to have the NWA be part of sort of their journey. Uh, the question is what they will want in return. Up to now, I've resisted every overture because they wanted more than I was willing to give up. So it's like, like I said, it's like a brand building exercise with a, a, like a, like a tech thing. It's like, what, what's your burn rate against what you're willing to give up? And at this point, I don't want to give up anything. So it's NWA 74, August 26th and 27th. I would say to MMA fans out there, very quiet, rare, quiet weekend in MMA. In fact, no UFC that Saturday, one of the rare Saturdays on the calendar that there's no UFC. So if you're itching for some combat, go check out NWA 74 on Fight. Uh, and I think you'll enjoy it very much. My my hero, as far as broadcasting is concerned, is Howard Stern. Uh, I have watched and listened to him for far too many hours, and I think he's the greatest interviewer of my lifetime. Uh, you have had the honor of being on his show so many times, and you know when you, when you're playing, when you're talking, it's just great. And the admiration that he has for you is really incredible to watch and listen to. And so I'm just curious, a, if I could ask, just what it's like to be on Howard's show. I've never met him before, and b. When you were, you know, in the 90s doing your thing and appearing on SNL and Howard and every late show, which of those institutions for you was the coolest? Like, you were like, damn, I can't believe we're on this. Was there one that stood out that meant the most to you? Well, let me let me answer your questions in reverse. Um, I think when we first played, you know, The Tonight Show and be on that same set that Johnny Carson shot on when I was a kid, that, that, was, that was late night. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, being on the same stage that The Beatles played when they came to America at the Ed Sullivan theater, uh, all with David Letterman. And even we did one time David Letterman where they closed down the street and let us play on the street. So amazing experiences. And, and, and so everybody was always very kind to have us on there. And uh, I'm very proud of those accomplishments. As far as Howard goes, it's very interesting because uh, I used to be on Howard in the nineties when Howard was more like, you know, what they would call a shock jock. And he would ask you such crazy questions and you'd be asked these questions at like 7 a.m. And, you know, he'd be eight feet away and, you know, Robin's in the booth and right. you know, you're kind of whacked out from being on a tour. And some of the questions he would ask would be so strange. So you would kind of give pause uh, to go on there because you never knew what Howard would say or do and put you in a position where you might look bad, particularly against such a loyal audience. Um, and, and, so for I wasn't on for years, and then they eventually asked me back on. I don't think I'd been on for at least 10 years. And in that time, he had shifted to what he is now, which he is the best interviewer in all of media. There is nobody that I can compare Howard to other than maybe Charlie Rose in his prime. As far as an interviewer that, you know, for somebody who's been interviewed thousands of times like I have, 
you can't believe the depth and the level of the questions and the way they're able to steer the conversation to keep it interesting, not let you talk too much, kind of talk about what you want to talk about, but give their audience. It's, it's, it's sort of this perfect balance. It's, it's a form of mastery. So it's been interesting to watch the transition of Howard as a person, uh, as an entertainer, and as a, as a talent. Uh, and he's such a lovely person behind the scenes. I have nothing but great things to say about Howard. He's just treated me like gold these last sort of 10 years. And honestly, probably nobody in all of media has been more faithful and kind to what I've tried to build on the music side than Howard, because I got into this kind of confrontational relationship with music media and media in general in the, in the 90s. And when I wasn't as successful in the early 2000s, they just beat the shit out of me and just kind of turned me into kind of like an almost like an object of mockery and derision. And really it was Howard standing up for me and saying, no, not only is this guy being treated wrong, this is a world-class talent who deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He kind of started to shift that conversation around me single-handedly. Wow. Um, and so I'm very grateful to Howard in that way um, because he's told me both publicly and privately that he just doesn't think the way I'm treated in the world is fair. And he, for whatever reason, on his own, because it's nothing I asked for, he just put himself in a position as being someone who's a supporter and a defender. And I'm very grateful for that. And my family's very grateful for that because... Howard really is one of those sort of legendary talents that when you come in contact with, whether it's an Ed Sullivan or a David Letterman, and now Howard, you know, you've got to step back and say, this is the way you, you, you gauge yourself historically. Um, because it used to be things like Rolling Stone. Now you wouldn't gauge yourself against that anymore because it's not what it once was. Mm -hmm. Where Howard took new media to a different height and has given the long form interview, you know, what we now look at podcasting at. Joe Rogan in particular, he's given it this kind of other level of finesse and art form that heretofore it did not exist. Well, I'm happy to hear that he's as cool behind the scenes as I believe he is, uh, you know, in front of the mic. Uh, your appearance is just absolutely legendary. I was watching one uh, this morning from, I think, 1998, uh, just crazy stuff. So, uh, well done. I'm sure the memories are, you know, plentiful. I can't wait for the book where you tell us all these secrets. And I can't wait for when you tell me uh, how much you bought NWA for. But we'll leave it at that for now. NWA 74, August 26th and 27th. I'm rooting for you, man. I really do enjoy the Thank product. You. I really do like what you're doing. I love the old school meets new school. I love the power show. The way you shoot it is brilliant. Well done. And uh, I wish you guys nothing but the best. And thank you so much for giving me about an hour of your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Last thing I'll say, since we're, since we're promoting, if you're an MMA fan and you don't like the NWA, you don't like wrestling. You know what I mean? You just don't like wrestling because we're probably the closest thing to MMA that's out there. Well put. Thank you, Billy. All the best. Thank you, my friend. All right. How great was that? Tremendous guest. Another guest that I could have talked to for well over an hour. Appreciate his time. Love the stuff at the end about Howard Stern. How cool was that? His appearances on Howard Stern, whether he was just a guest or actually playing music, legendary stuff. And I am really interested in what he's doing with NWA. Their show, NWA Power, is a really cool, fun show. I like it a lot. And I think it could be a cool place for Hilwani, if I'm being honest. Cutting a few promos off to the side, Wearing sunglasses, I'm not a big sunglasses indoors guy, but something, you know, a suit. I could be that heel manager. I think I could cut a promo or two on the biz. Anyway, I wish him the best. Again, August 26th, 27th on Fight. Fight does a great job. That's F-I-T-E. They're a great uh, pay-per-view provider platform online. They have a ton of stuff like BKFC and 
um, a ton of MMA promotions, some boxing as well, pro wrestling, of course. Um, they've been doing that for quite a while, and they're a great spot for someone like NWA. So I wish Billy and his whole entire team nothing but the best. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, and uh, we keep this train rolling along. Thank you very much for all the support. Go check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Hawani, is where you can watch all of these interviews. Last week, we had the great Brian Gewertz on. Hope you've picked up his book. It is out right now, so go check it out, and many, many more to come. Now, thank you to you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the followers. If you're rating, downloading, subscribing, reviewing, all that stuff and more, I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you to the lovely Feathers for this great theme song. We appreciate them very much as well. And most importantly, thank you to Billy Corgan. I appreciate him. Good luck on August 26th and 27th. Check out the product if you haven't. And I appreciate you checking us out as well. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon.